Hi, you're listening to a Cornerstone City Church podcast. This month we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Within this time we'll meet on Wednesday the 8th, 15th and 22nd to pray and worship together. We'd love you to join us in doing this. We also have our vision night on Wednesday the 29th of January. For more info, go to our website. All right, guys. As Greg said, a very happy new year to you. Um, we're very excited for 2020 and all the Lord has in store. Um, just, uh, I'm not, not going to start with any jokes this morning. You'll be so happy to hear. Maybe I'll make that my New Year's resolution and <laughs> not to tell any more dad jokes. Uh, I'm a dad and I have to tell them. But um, just during worship, it felt in a sense a couple of things that uh, before we get into the message today, felt a couple of things for a couple of people in the room. Um, it's really great to see Jan with us. Today. Hey, Jan. It's great to see you, Jan, and all your friends, and uh, it's brilliant to have you here. But, Jan, um, just during worship, I really felt, um, you know, the, the Lord actually saying, I know you're, you're quite international, you're traveling a lot, but I, asked, I felt the Lord saying that you, you need to ask for the nations. You have to ask him for the nations, and he wants to give them to you because the nations are in turmoil. Um, there's chaos happening all around the world, and the Lord is setting people aside that he wants to ask him for the nations so that he can bring his influence, not just in the church, but into all of culture. Um, but within that as well, when we read Isaiah 60, it says when the, the glory of the Lord rises, that the kings come to the light of the dawn as well. Um, and I feel in a sense that the kings are gonna come to you, the ones that are outside from the church, the people that have no clue of spirituality or kingdom, but the Lord will draw them in and they will actually resource all the things that he wants you to do. So begin to push in and, and just be bold, ask him for the nations, begin to ask him for the countries, ask him for the places and he will give them to you uh, and he wants to do that. Also right behind you, Declan, as you're drinking, I don't know if you want something a bit harder than water now. Uh, but um, Something similar for you too, Declan. I feel like 2020, and you're going to love this, is the year of expansion, right? Uh, I feel like for you that God wants to expand, and maybe a little bit with business, but I think he wants to say, Declan, there's so much more that's possible. I want you to imagine all things are possible in Christ. And he wants to expand your influence so that goes beyond business, but actually you're set aside. God has set you apart to be a light in the darkness. Like we can all agree with that. Any of you who know Declan know that he loves a bit of crack, right? But you actually have been set apart to be a light in the darkness. He has placed you on a hill and in places where other people can't go. He's placing you there in order to bring the light. He's got an anointing of evangelism over your life. But you're going to see that not just in your typical sense of standing on a stage and preaching, but in every environment as you step in, you're to bring the kingdom, to release the kingdom. God's saying, just open your mind to what's possible. There's so much more that's possible. Begin to ask me, begin to be bold and pray those big prayers and ask. There's so much available. Uh, and also Cameron, where's Cameron at? There you are, Cameron, and you're big. Just because you're wearing a pink jumper, I think it was, uh, uh, my attention was brought to it. No, uh, uh, my mind was brought to Isaiah 49 where God actually says, and he speaks. And of course, this is kind of um, a messianic verse where he's talking about Jesus as well and talking about deliverance. But he talks about him, he says, I'm making your mouth like a double-edged sword. Uh, you are a concealed arrow in my quiver. And what I feel like God is saying, that he has been bringing you on a journey, he's been preparing you, he's been doing lots of things in your life, but he's been sharpening the sword, right? He's been making you ready and making you effective. Uh, and you've gone through a season where you think you've been stepping out, you've been doing a bit of uh, CSM and taking a little bit of risk, but actually God's had you in the season of preparation, where he's been polishing you as this arrow, preparing you as the sword, but he's getting ready to launch you. 
He's getting ready to launch. It's not going to conceal for too much longer, and he's getting ready to launch. Um, and I think we have to say, we have to be willing to let him launch you as well. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means, but I feel like God's saying, I'm going to launch her. <laughs> Catapult. Um, and so I, I, I believe your time that season is, is coming now. So if, if that's okay, can we pray for these guys? Uh, so Lord, we thank you that you are alive, that your word today is living and it is sharp like a double-edged sword. And Father, that you come and you cut uh, through our soul and our spirit. You cut through just like bone and marrow. God, that when you release something and when you speak something, it brings transformation, it brings change. I pray for Cameron, for Jan, for Declan, and for anyone else that actually feels like something in their spirit with the things that we've been saying today as well. I pray, God, that you come and you bring the transformation, that this actually year would not be a year of more waiting, but it would be acceleration in all the things that you are doing. And we say yes and amen to what you're up to, God. We agree with you, Lord. We're not asking you to come and bless what we're doing. We're saying yes to what you're already doing and submitting ourselves under that right now. So, Father, we bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, good on you guys. Brilliant. Um, we have been uh, journeying through the Ten Commandments on and off over the last, feels like six months. We will get to the end of the Ten Commandments at some point. Uh, so if you could turn to Exodus chapter 20 with me, if that's okay. <clears throat> and uh, within the next... 25 minutes, I'm going to try and squeeze all this in. So this, this morning is going to be a little bit more teaching, not so much inspirational. It's going to be a bit more teaching. Uh, we're going to try and uh, push some stuff through. Uh, and at the end, I'm going to say to you, at the end, I want you, uh, after uh, church is over, I want you actually to make a list of things. I don't want you to leave today without actually taking some action on stuff that we've talked about today. So uh, it's very easy at the end of a message or at the end of a service to actually just go straight for tea and coffee, go and collect your kids have a bit of crack and then forget about everything and then you know ponder it over the week but actually what I want you to do I need you to make a list whether it's in your mind or you write it down you need to make a list of the things that you're going to do after this and all will become clear so Exodus 20 verse 1 and 2 to start and God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery and so everything in this moment from this point on, is in the context of God taking people out of the land of their slavery and leading them into the land of their freedom. God freed them from slavery, they're in the wilderness, and he's preparing them to step into a new culture, a God-driven culture, a God-centric culture, where God is the Lord, where God is the king, and people carry the kingdom and the culture of God with them. And so whatever he's saying in this moment, what he's saying in this moment, sorry, is I am the Lord your God. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I'm the God who was, the God who is, the God who forever will be. So I'm the God, and what they understand, he's the God who carries freedom, who carries liberty. That is who he is. And so it's really important for us that when we read the Ten Commandments, that we don't read them as guilt-driven principles, although they're great principles, but that we see them in the context of which they were given. They were given in the context of the present, the manifest presence of God, and God bringing people into freedom. So the purpose of these things are always to lead people into freedom. And we said it before, but just to remind you again, anytime you hear in scripture where God says or Jesus says, do not, if he starts something with do not, it's not to limit your life, it's actually to prevent heartbreak in your life. 
It's to prevent heartbreak and to protect freedom. Those are the two reasons why Jesus will say, do not do this, or God says, do not do this. And I know when I mention the Ten Commandments, our immediate response, usually because of the culture that we've grown up, is going, which one have I broken today? Or at least, you know, hopefully not a few of them, uh, but which one have I broken? And our thought process around that um, is more like an enslaved people than a free people. It's more guilt-driven than freedom-orientated. Does that make sense? And actually, we have to be freedom-orientated. So today, we're going to look at the commandment, and uh, one that we should be familiar with in Northern Ireland, is keep the Sabbath holy. We're going to look at this one. I'd imagine uh, for some of the people in the room today, uh, for some of you that have grown up in a conservative uh, Protestant community, that you're very familiar with the idea of, I think you call it the Lord's Day, right? You call it the Lord's Day. Uh, for a lot of you, Sunday was the day that you're not allowed to watch TV, right? Many of us, you weren't allowed to watch TV on a Sunday, a few people. Uh, Sunday was the day that you wore really uncomfortable clothes and went to church as many times as possible. Um, I think, and I had no experience of this, but uh, from hearing from Donna, uh, from her experience, they would actually go to like, they would have kids church first, and then they would go to adult church after. So it didn't happen at the same time, is that correct? So you had actually, it was as many, so you wear really uncomfortable clothes and you stay in church as much as possible. I don't think you're allowed to go to sports and games or go shopping or anything like that, right? Right, brilliant. If you're like me, however, and you grew up in Donegal and grew up in the Catholic community, uh, Sundays were the days for lying in, which is great. And uh, you go to the shops, get your papers in the morning, you go to mass if you've didn't get to go on Saturday night. Um, and then afterwards, we go and we play a, a Gaelic football match in the afternoon, because uh, Sundays were the big days for Gaelic. Uh, and then you come home, you get a nice uh, roast dinner or something, uh, and then we go and watch Mr. Bean, which was always on RT at half five on, uh, on Sunday night. And then we would uh, panic because I realized I hadn't done, haven't done my homework, uh, and get all my homework done, get all the preparation made, ready to go back to school on Monday. So some people grew up really looking forward to Sundays, and some people grew up actually not really looking forward to Sundays at all. And if I was, I'm not gonna do it, right, but if I was gonna ask you to be completely honest, and for those of you who had the previous experience of Sundays, a lot of you would say you didn't look forward to Sundays, right? You didn't look forward to Sunday. And my hope today is actually that we remove the idea of the Sunday mentality out of our head completely, and that we change that mentality to a Sabbath mindset that we stop thinking about Sunday and we start thinking about Sabbath because it's a different thing. And we need to live a Sabbath lifestyle and have a Sabbath mindset. A lot of what we're gonna um, share today in the next few minutes is from, uh, I've been influenced a bit by a guy called John Mark Comer, who is this uh, great Bible teacher in Portland in Oregon. Um, and he's written a book recently and we've given it to most of the staff and the rest of them who haven't got it yet are getting it. Um, and it's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, and we're gonna explore a couple of thoughts around that as we're journeying uh, through this as well. So if we go to Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. It says this. I'll just take a wee drink here while I can. I'm not talking. All right. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, or sorry, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant. Remember that? Give your servants the day off on the Sabbath. Not your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your turns, for in towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And he made it holy. Lord, I pray just even as we explore this today, I pray there be just light bulb moments for us. Um, I pray that there be revelation for us and that we would actually step in to all that you have for us in terms of Sabbath and rest. In Jesus' name. In Japan, after the uh, Second World War, there was great devastation in the nation, uh, and they put this huge amount of work and effort into making the country a really progressive country again. They wanted to be on the forefront of uh, the world's economy, of technology, and they did that. They worked incredibly hard, and they, and they created an incredible economy and culture in their city. And that all sounds amazing, except they begin to see the fruit of that in the late 70s and the early 80s where they discovered an epidemic that was sweeping through their nation. They were seeming, there were people that were uh, really successful, uh, high flyers, people and young adults that were from 18 to 30, and, and these people had no previous history of illness, nothing wrong, nothing going on in their lives before, and they were just getting heart attacks, they were getting strokes, they were uh, dying from starvation even though they had all this food around them and they were wondering what was going on and there was a sort of an inquiry in the 80s from the Japanese government to try and find out what was happening and then they diagnosed it and they coined this phrase which is karoshi, which means death by overwork. They were seeing a whole generation of people dying because of overwork. Uh, the clinical term that they use today is occupational sudden mortality. Occupational sudden mortality. And it was an epidemic in their country. Uh, we're living today in a, at a time in our history where people are working more hours than they've ever worked before. Where hurry and busyness is more prevalent than any other time in history. Any other time. I mean, the working economy today means, you know, the classic thing of working nine to five or 40 hours a week, that is quickly disappearing. It's quickly disappearing, especially because of technology, because of smartphones. You know, even the classic nine to five jobs now are able to, employers are able to contact employees at any time of the day and night, thanks to social media and email and all those wonderful things. Uh, even with my phone, I need to be really disciplined because of the nature of my work uh, outside of church. I can actually run like marketing stuff and, and run ads and all these things directly from my phone. And sometimes I do catch myself at like half 11 at night responding to emails and doing different things. And I'm able to do that because it's all accessible to me. There was a recent study done uh, in a university that said 90% of 18 to 29 year olds sleep with either the phone in their bed or right beside their bed. Half of those people, when they wake up in the middle of the night, would check their phone immediately. We're living in a culture where more and more there's a demand for our attention, there's a demand for our time, and the truth, the sad truth is this. Workaholism isn't just something that's acceptable to us. It's actually something we brag about. 
It's actually something we celebrate. We hold people who are workaholics, we hold them in higher regard. We talk about them, about how amazing they are, and we hold them in greater esteem. When somebody asks you, there's a good, you know, a litmus test for it. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? What do you think the most popular response after grand? What do you think the most popular response is, how are you doing? I'm good, but I'm busy, right? I'm good, but I'm busy. It's the same across every demographic, across every people group in the world. It's the most popular response. I'm good, but I'm busy. To say you're busy is to say that you're of value. I'm valuable because I'm busy. And the opposite is also true in our culture. To say you're not busy is to say you're not valuable. That's what we believe, which is crazy. Throughout the Christian world, nobody would brag about, I hope nobody would brag about, but throughout the Christian world, nobody would actually brag about breaking the commandments, would they? They'd say, you know, I really didn't honor my parents well this week. I did that really well, right? We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. I hope not. Uh, you know, or, you know, I've really got some new idols that I've got in my home now to bow down and worship to. I'm really excited about that one. I, I don't think we would, but we do brag about this one, about breaking the Sabbath, about not having rest. We do talk about how many days we've worked without stopping, how long it's been since we've had a break, how long we've gone over 10 days, 14 days, 20 days, a month, whatever it is, that we've worked this amount of time without actually having a day off. Busyness and hurry are promoted as good things when actually they are not. They're actually a sign that there's something wrong deep down, not just in culture, but deep down in the core of ourselves. John Ortberg, who wrote the book which we did the series on recently, uh, Overcoming Your Shadow Mission, he said this, he said, busyness is not just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. It's a disordered heart. There's a kind of busyness that goes past your schedule, that goes past your diaries, that goes past all of our planning, and it goes right into the core of who we are, to enter, enter our inner man and our inner woman, and it actually cuts us off from the Spirit of God. It actually cuts us off from the Spirit of God, who, by the way, was never, ever in a hurry. God is never in a hurry. If you don't believe me, read the Gospels. You will see that Jesus was never in a hurry. How do we know? Because he was always late. <laughs> Jesus was always late. Even when he had a mission, even when he was going somewhere, when he was doing something, when somebody would come to him and say, Jesus, something's going on. We need, to get, we need you to get here quickly. Jesus would start and go, and he'd always be late. Why? Because he would get distracted by compassion along the way. Just ask Jairus, right? Jesus on the way to Jairus, his daughter was dying. Jesus gets distracted and heals somebody and begins to reach, touch people on the way to Jairus. And in the process, Jairus' daughter's dead. And then he gets there and he raises her to life. Just ask Mary and Martha. Jesus hears about Lazarus being ill. They want Jesus to come, but he stays another day where he is. <laughs> he stays another day and he arrives late. And they said, oh, Jesus, if only you had come earlier. Jesus says, okay, and he raises him from the dead. He still does it. Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never in a rush because he's the embodiment of divine love. And this is what you need to know. We're the subject of God's divine love, but we're also called to be like him in his love. 
to become filled with his love. If I was to ask you, who wants, like, who wants to be filled with the love of God? Who, who wants that? Hands up if you want to be filled with the love of God. But 12 of us, that's great. Do we want to be filled with the love of God? We do, right? But here's, here's the scary thing. Hurry and busyness are incompatible with love. Because people in a hurry are not people who love. Think about it. People in a hurry are not people who love. Because love takes time. Love is inconvenient. Love is messy. It's all over the place. And love almost always is an interruption. It's almost always an interruption. Um, when uh, John, Paul, and uh, myself, I sound like I went, that was me and the poop. <laughs> John, Paul, myself, right? <laughs> I have to change it. When Paul, <laughs> Paul, John, and myself, when we got uh, the opportunity to travel to California in September, we had a great time there meeting lots of people. But uh, I think it was the very last day we realized that we were very close to Paul's Auntie Corrie's uh, uh, grave, and we decided we'd go and visit. And Paul's Auntie Corrie, our great aunt, is a great aunt? Great, great. You're not that old. <laughs> so, so great, great aunt. Uh, Corrie was Corrie Ten Boom. And Corrie Ten Boom was this incredible woman. Uh, we actually have a picture. I don't know if it's up there. Is it? We have this picture of Paul's legs in California. And um, we went to, and visited her, uh, her grave. But she was this amazing woman. Her and her family, they saved uh, Jews uh, during Nazi Germany. Uh, and they were um, actually arrested and brought to concentration camps. I think it was 1944. Um, and they spent some time in the concentration camps. And, and she actually was uh, released like a couple of weeks after her sister died. But she found out subsequently that... Um, a week later, all the people, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers, and it was actually an administration error that released her, otherwise she would have been sent to the gas chambers as well. Uh, so she's this incredible woman, and we went, and we actually had to put the, the find the coordinates online of where her grave was, because it was so hum small, and it was so humble, like it was such a small thing. And we were like walking, searching through this place, trying to find it, uh, and we found it there, and it's just this small thing, and I think it says Jesus is Victor, doesn't it, on top, which is beautiful. Um, but she said, she had said some incredible things, but I want you to hear what she says about hurry up there, it's there. He says, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. This is Corey Ten Boom. This is not like some modern just blogger, right? Or this person who just has an opinion on Twitter. This is Corey Ten Boom. <laughs> who was in the Nazi concentration camps, who watched death and saved people's lives, she says, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? He'll make us busy. You see, hurry and sin actually have the same effect on our spirit. They cut us off from the Lord. Hurry actually cuts us off from the Lord. However, there is a practice that is as old as time itself. And it's a practice that has been modeled by Jesus, but it's been established at the very beginning of creation that goes to war with hurry, and it, it is the Sabbath. The Sabbath command is the only one of the commandments that actually comes with reasoning behind it. 
is only one of the commandments that comes where God goes, here, I want you to keep the, command, keep the commandment of the Sabbath, and here's why. It's the only one that gives a bit of a, a rationale behind it, right? You can talk about honoring your father and your mother. That has a motivation behind it. But this one is the only one where God actually goes, here's why. And as he's speaking to Moses, he gives him a little bit of a synopsis of the creation story. So that's what we're going to look at really quickly over the next few minutes. Uh, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're just going to read a couple of verses. Genesis 1, 31. And then we'll read that through to Genesis 2 and verse 3. Thirty-one, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Two verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That's just a beautiful verse. They're completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he, what? Rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. <laughs> now I just want you to pause—sorry, uh, pause for just a moment. Um, we can quickly run past this, and people will try and you know talk about God doesn't need a break, you know whatever. On the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. Oh, you don't understand me, Patty. I, I'm a Type A leader. I'm go, go, go all the time. I gotta be doing stuff. I gotta be going. If I'm not going, then I'm, uh, I'm not myself. I gotta go, go, go. God rested. <laughs> oh, you don't understand. I've got these responsibilities. People need me. They're constant. It's constant. It's going. I have to. God rested. God rested. God Almighty. <laughs> God rested. He rested. Oh, but you don't understand. I, it's just the way things are. It's the way life is. No, you don't understand. God rested. He rested. He, he modeled something for us. He rested. The word here is Shabbat. And in the context that it's given, like the, the, the way the, the sentences are structured here in, in the language, it means to cease, for God actually ceased. He stopped, he paused, and he took delight in. Like he stopped what he was doing. He rested from what he was doing. He ceased, and he perceived all that he had done. He stopped, and he took delight in what he was doing. Remember when God finished his work, what he perceived it, he looked at it, and what did he say? He said it was very good, right? So when he paused, he looked at it, and he said it was very good. It's a bit like, uh, who do we have? Carolyn Smith. Where's Carolyn Smith? There you are. <laughs> so Carolyn Smith, teaching in, in, uh, in Coleraine. Uh, you come home after a productive day at school where you keep all your kids alive, right? So that's a, that's a good, productive day in the school, right? right? And it's been good. And you get home. And as you get home, Peter meets you at the door. And he brings you to the seat and brings you, you know, puts your feet up on a nice chair and comes over. And he brings you a nice ice-cold glass of my wadi or whatever it is that you would love to drink. And you sit down and you just go and you, and you look at all that you've done in the day and you go, ah. And you perceive, and you said, this was a good day, right? You know what I'm talking about. You have those moments, right? Where you relax and you rest and you look over the good day. It's like Shabbat. You rest and you perceive that it was good. The Sabbath is a whole day that God says you need to set aside 
to follow his example, to actually stop and delight in the world, to stop and delight in what he has provided for you, to stop and delight in your work, but above everything else, above everything else, to stop and delight in him. To stop and delight in him. Dan Allender, who is a professor of Christian counseling, he says this, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. Isn't that beautiful? The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. So the question that we need to ask today, uh, and I need to ask it, we constantly have to fight this. What could I do for one day every week that would give me deep joy in God's presence? What can I do that actually causes me to stop, to rest, and to take delight in Him? That causes me to stop to rest and take delight in him. And I want to say something to you, and depending on your background, your culture, you may find this offensive. It might not necessarily be a Sunday. Because <laughs> if, you know, if you're in my shoes, Sundays are great days. I love Sundays where we come and we worship together, we do those things. But Sunday's not a very restful day for me, <laughs> especially when we've got double services. It's not a very restful day. I'm probably more tired after a Sunday than any other day during the week. So I actually look at Sunday, and a Sunday's a great day of gathering together as community, but actually it's not a great day for rest because <laughs> we're a bit tired after a Sunday. So actually, Sabbath is different. And I have to look at my life and go, well, where am I putting Sabbath in? Where am I creating space where I stop and I delight in God? Where I stop and rest and my joy is found in him, where I actually create that space in my life. And we're quite good at the church thing, we're quite good at going to church, but a lot of you will come to church on a Sunday morning and you'll posture yourself and worship before God, and you'll do that and we'll have community together and be beautiful and all that, and then afterwards you'll go and do all the stuff everybody else does. Uh, Just a great example of this, I don't know if any of you have ever gone to the Crescent Link after church on a Sunday. Right, You've had a beautiful morning of being peaceful in God's presence. And then you go for your coffee, you go for some lunch, or you go to Mark's Place, or even a walk around DFS, and you get some, like, look at the sofas you can't afford, you know, and you, you do all that, and then you just can't get out, right? You just can't, you can't leave. You might get into the crescent, but you'll never make it out alive, right? And so it feels like when you're in traffic there, it feels like you're going minus five miles per hour. How many of you, in the, that moment where it takes you an hour to get out of a retail park, feel close to Jesus? Like, Right? You feel at this moment, I just have the most peace that I've ever had in my life. I feel just this clarity on my identity and who I am in Christ. Oh, you're just going to get me out of this. I wish that guy would do his job and get me out, right? You actually feel a bit stressed by it, right? And so actually, we, we, we get into that mode. It's easy also to confuse relaxation with rest. They're not the same thing. It's easy to confuse that. In uh, 2017, a guy called Reed Hastings, who's the CEO of Netflix, he was in an interview and people asked him, they said, Reed, like, who is your main competitor? And they expected him to say Amazon Prime or you know, uh, Apple uh, TV or you know, uh, YouTube or any of these things. They thought he was gonna say these, but he didn't. He said something that was really surprising. He said, think about it. When you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night. This is what he says, we're competing with sleep. Sleep is his main competitor. And the same thing again, you know, some great shows on Netflix, all that stuff, but how many of you that have ever binged watched Netflix, and it says the average person who gets addicted to a Netflix show will watch the whole series in less than four days. 
How many of you that have done that, and I know so many of you have done it, and you're screaming, I know, how so many of you have done that. How many of you after that, at the end of it, after watching all that stuff, feel close to Jesus? Like after all that, you feel, you know what, I just feel so, I have so many prophetic words I want to give to people now after watching all this. No, at that moment, you're probably grumpy and a little bit emotionally unstable, right? Uh, right? And you're like asleep. Maybe it's just a little bit more so than usual for some of you, but actually it's true, that's where we get to. I want to tell you, that is not Sabbath. That is not Sabbath. You're speeding up, you're playing your life, you're, you're reducing rest in order to fit everything in. It's not Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day, is a moment to pause and to stop and take delight in the Lord. What do we need to do to create space for rest in life? Is A good question to ask, is what I'm doing causing me to worship? And is it causing me to rest? If the answer is no to either of those things, then it's not Sabbath. Put it in your other days, that's okay, your other six. But if it's not Sabbath, don't. If it's not that, it's not Sabbath. And we're gonna finish in five minutes, so I don't wanna um, have another 2,000 words. (laughs) And I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna push them out. I think we'll finish it off next week. Is that okay? So three things then I'm gonna say to you. I'm gonna skip to the very end. Um, through the work of Jesus we are actually called to enter into a Sabbath lifestyle the Sabbath day you you need to understand this the ten commandments right There's, there's a couple of schools of thought out there that actually say Jesus fulfilled Sabbath on the cross so actually it's a Sabbath lifestyle we're supposed to carry not just the commandment we're to follow but I want to ask you did any of the other commandments stop after the cross No, right? After Jesus, it's not now that we can go and kill as many people as we want because there's forgiveness of sins. That's not how it works, right? Actually, the commandment still stands. It's still important. Why? Because it's actually knit into our very nature. It's knit into creation. We need rest. If we don't rest, we actually die. That's part of of our genetic makeup that God has put in us. We're called to enter also into a Sabbath lifestyle that we operate from a place of rest in our life, that we reduce hurry. And it's a lifestyle that is a daily connection with God, that we can enter into his presence, and we did it this morning, no matter what day it was. As Neil so powerfully shared with us, that it's not just the moment of church or the Sunday, but it's any moment, and Greg talked about it too, that any moment that we can come before God, come into his presence, come into his presence in our time of need, in a moment where we need him, and he invites us in because Jesus has already made us holy and perfect before God. He's already done all that needs to be done where he removes striving from our lives. We don't need to strive. We don't need to strive. We don't need to treat our faith like everything else. Hurry, be busy in our faith. No, no, no. We don't need to strive. We need to rest in his presence. Jesus himself says this. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who wants to live that lifestyle? <laughs> Who wants that, right? An easy yoke and a light burden with lots of rest. So when I finish, I'm gonna ask you this. You need to make the list, remember? 
I skipped half of that sermon. We'll do the rest of it next week. Um, Number one, what is it that you need to do in order to create Sabbath in your life? What is it that you actually need to proactively do in order to create space for Sabbath in your life? You're going to have to do something to do that. The second thing, what are the things you need to say no to in order to create space? Because there's things you have to say yes to, you need to do. There's things you need to say no to. You actually need to turn around and say no to in order to pause so that you can delight in him. And thirdly, what are the practices that you're going to begin to establish a Sabbath lifestyle? Because then there has to be rhythms. There has to be a Sabbath practice that you need to begin to put into place. I'd encourage you as we finish um, this year, I don't know if you do it already, but you should try and read your Bible as, many, as much as possible, like a, a day Every day, there's some great apps out there. Um, the Bible in One Year by Nikki Gumbel and the Alpha Course. Those guys, they've, they've done a great app. The, um, the Bible app itself has some plans in it. I just encourage you, begin to put a practice in your life. Create space in your life where you actually stop. You pause. You take delight in Him. And you have a Sabbath lifestyle, right? Make sure you get eight hours sleep at night if you can, right? Just make sure you do simple things to actually do that. So those three things. What do you need to do to create space for Sabbath in your life? What are the things you need to say no to in order to create space to pause and delight in him? And the third thing is, what are the practices that you're going to begin to establish a Sabbath lifestyle? Okay? And I pray for you and then we'll finish. So Lord, uh, I thank you that you are alive today. You are not dead that you are not relegated to thousands of years ago or to 2,000 years ago, but you are alive and you're with us today. And you're speaking to us today and your word remains true forever. I pray, God, that today, even just for some of us, that this would spark a thought, that it spark a conversation with our families, with our spouse, with our friends, about how do we actually begin to step into a Sabbath lifestyle? How do we begin to make rest a part of a rhythm and a part of a routine? How do we make this constant rhythm of worship and pausing a part of our life? So Father, I pray, bring us clarity, give us boldness, and give us the strength to actually say, this is what I'm going to do. We pray this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.